In the middle of the Bay of Fundy, between New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, lies a mysterious fog-shrouded island. It is said to be home to spirits, pirates buried treasure, and a trapped ghost ship. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes with your host and author, Andrew McLean. The island holds spiritual significance for the Mi'kmaq, who, since time immemorial, would visit it for summer gatherings. The top of the island was considered sacred, and it was forbidden to go there. The first recorded European description of the island comes from French explorer Samuel de Champlain in 1604. He named it Il Haute, meaning High Island. Champlain wrote, It is entirely surrounded by great cliffs, except in one place where there is a slope, at the foot of which is a pond of salt water, which lies at the base of a gravel point having the form of a spur. The top of the island is flat, covered with trees, and has a very good spring. For reasons that are unclear, he wrote that under that spring is a mine of copper. That spring would fascinate people for centuries, including being the setting of a ghost story which claims that on dark summer nights, a French sailing ship can be seen trapped under its waters. Missionary Silas Rand wrote that Mi'kmaq peoples called the island Maskousit kicks, and that it was used as a neutral meeting place to meet the Woolastook people. He wrote, In June 1724, 30 Woolastook came by canoe to the mysterious and lonely island at the headwaters of the Bay of Fundy, Ilhot. There they met with 50 Mi'kmaq arrayed in war paint. A feast was eaten to give them courage in battle, and a war dance was held. They then set out to attack the Port Royal Fort. In the mid-1700s, the expulsion of the Acadians saw 300 French refugees hiding from the British on the island. Acadian legends recount that as they were preparing to sail to the island, a mysterious elderly Mi'kmaq woman approached and asked them to take her with them. Despite being precariously short on food and supplies, they brought her along and cared for her. When the Acadians departed, she refused to leave the island. Some of the French believed that she had been a spirit who had protected them in return for their helping her and that she still guards the island today. By the mid-1800s, the Bay of Fundy was a hotbed of shipping and industry. The island began appearing on maps with dire warnings that it was a ship killer. While its northeast side was a safe place for ships to anchor, the rest of the island was surrounded by dangerous riptides. Off its west side was a particularly treacherous area in which at least 20 ships crashed. In 1878, a 53-foot-tall lighthouse was built on the island. It was an exact copy of PEI's Wood Island Lighthouse, 
sharing the same unconventional square design as that popular tourist attraction. Lighthouse keepers use signal fires to communicate across the bay with the little town of Advocate in Nova Scotia. One fire meant that all was well. Two fires meant that someone was sick. Three fires meant that a doctor was needed. And four fires meant that there had been a death. Percy Morris was the lighthouse keeper from 1904 to 1941. One winter, he crossed the bay to purchase supplies, hiring an assistant to stay with his wife Bertha and to run the lighthouse while he was gone. A massive blizzard swept in, preventing him from returning home. As he watched helplessly, he saw four fires burning. A death had come to the lighthouse. The storm lasted for four days, during which Percy Morris was beside himself with worry for Bertha. Meanwhile, Bertha, who had lit the four fires, shared the lighthouse with the corpse of the hired worker who had died of a heart attack. While winters were isolated on the island, during summers, New Brunswickers and Nova Scotians flocked to the island for bay parties. The largest bay party was in 1881 when three ships carrying 300 people visited the island in one day to hold picnics. Ilhote has long been home to many pirate tales involving hidden treasure. There is, however, virtually no evidence of infamous pirates like Edward Lowe or Captain Kidd ever actually visiting, let alone burying treasure. But this lack of evidence has never stopped treasure hunters, though. Lighthouse keeper Percy Morris's daughter Ella recorded in her diary that her father saw some treasure hunters marking an X on the island. In the night, he sneakily buried a kettle under that X. The next day, the Morris family secretly watched from afar as the treasure hunters dug up their kettle and they laughed at their excitement. In the 1920s, eccentric British Columbian treasure hunter Dugald Carmichael spent four years digging up the island. He even attempted to drain the spring to get at the alleged ghost ship trapped inside. In 1952, American Edward Snow arrived on the island to search for treasure using an early metal detector. He claimed to have found eight pieces of gold and a skeleton belonging to pirates. The lighthouse keeper at the time figured that the skeleton and the eight coins were from one of the many shipwrecks on the island. Advocates townspeople told the Amherst Daily News that the consensus of opinion seems to be that Mr. Snow did not stay on the island long enough to search properly and would not show his find to any people in Advocate. They believed that it was not a pirate skeleton that he had found, but a sheep's. Snow, who is quoted as saying, the real money in treasure hunting wasn't in finding treasure, but in publishing books about the hunt, was splashed across the cover of Life magazine. He claimed that the RCMP stopped him just when he'd almost found the treasure. He almost certainly made more than eight coins worth out of all the publicity he got. No major treasure has ever been found on the island. But 
In their reckless quest for riches, treasure hunters destroyed a place that is sacred to the Mi'kmaq peoples. The area around that famous spring now looks like a First World War battlefield. Today, Ilhot is owned by the federal government, who plan to turn it into a wilderness preserve. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.